Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We are both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team. And we're on the podcast to break down interesting and challenging issues that are in front of employers with respect to their group health plan and benefit offerings to employees. And so today, Suzanne, we are going to walk through some bills that were just proposed at the federal level. Uh, you were spent a little bit of time out in D.C., I think, and so got to be there closer to that. Um, but we're going to talk about those that are proposed that touch on transparency and pricing. And that has been a common theme that we've seen in the last few years. But Suzanne, give us some background um, on, on this topic. Right. So there's there was actually a lot of activity, and we're going to focus on just certain bills that were proposed. But the House and Senate did return from recess, I will say. Uh, my daughter's there at, on an internship this summer, and they were in. Uh, they've been in in uh, session for the first seven weeks. They took a brief recess, and now they're back again trying to get the work done before the August break. So they've been really working a lot this summer. But we're going to do a quick run through of some of the bills that came out of the House Education and Workforce Committee, and that is the committee that has jurisdiction over like workforce, health, employment, labor, pensions, and so what that means is ERISA and group health plans. And so um, it like that committee works very closely with other committees like the House Ways and Means Committee that has jurisdiction over taxation when it, it speaks to employee benefits. Um, but it did release uh, out of committee a package of four bills that related to transparency. And we've certainly been talking about transparency on many of our podcasts and on webinars and so forth. Um, the next step for these bills will be that it goes to the floor for a House vote. And if it makes passes out of that, then it'll go to the Senate. Um, and I will say that the, the bills came out of committee with bipartisan support almost unanimously, which is almost unheard of. So there seems to be bipartisan support for all of these bills. Right. Yeah. And that's just very important, right? Because sometimes we hear about these proposed bills, but they're only uh, supported by the Republican side or the Democratic side. And it's, it's very difficult to get stuff through Congress, obviously. So um, with without that bipartisan support. So that is indicative of, of how it might go here. But let's start with the first bill, which I believe is H.R. 4509, which is the Transparency in Billing Act. Did I get that right? You did, yes. And so this bill is focused on hospitals. And it's interesting sometimes the way they try to get to other players in the market is through ERISA. And so this bill requires accurate billing practices by the hospitals, but it does so by amending ERISA and requiring group health plans to only pay claims by hospitals that have um, implemented policies and procedures to ensure accurate billing practices. And what that means is um, this is really in response to the growth in hospitals um, purchasing physician practices and the growth in off-campus hospital outpatient departments. And, and what we're finding is that they bill at a much higher rate than your standard physician office. And so even if it you know was a previously standalone physician office, it was purchased by a hospital. So it's at the same location, same provider, same physician. But now that it's a hospital outpatient department, it is now billing at a much higher rate than it was previously when it was a physician-owned practice. And so they've caught wind of this and they're trying to um, level this out. And so the, the bill requires off-campus hospital outpatient departments to obtain a separate unique health identifier so that we could identify or the plans could identify 
when this is occurring, and it prohibits plans from paying a claim that excludes the identifier. Now, there obviously are a lot of questions around how this would actually work in practice, so more to be seen here, but it imposes civil monetary penalties on hospitals that violate this requirement. Um, now, I will say from the perspective of the American Hospital Association, they point out that this practice of billing at hospital rates is not dishonest billing. It was just really an outgrowth of current payment practices. And they say they're not to blame for all of these acquisitions. And they point the finger to the private equity firms that in the past five years have really been acquiring physician practices, um, you know, under this disguise. But there was a very interesting study done by the EBRI, which is the Employee Benefit Research Institute. And that's a, if you ever really want some good data, that's a fascinating um, organization to look at their data. But they looked at the cost differential of the top infused cancer drugs based on the site of treatment. And they found that the top 37 infused cancer drugs average 86% more per unit in hospital outpatient setting versus a physician office. So same drug same type of delivery, just because it was an outpatient hospital setting versus a physician office, 86% more was charged to the plan. What they what they intend is for this to eventually lead to parity in payments. And so they want to see that leveling out between the two sites for the right. type of treatment that you're receiving. Yeah, this bill advanced with a unanimously, completely unanimously. Right. And um, if I if I'm reading that right, 39 to zero, right? There's 39 individuals on that uh, committee. committee. Yes, that's right. correct. Yeah, so interesting how they're approaching it, like you said, through the ERISA, um, by, by means of amending ERISA, but um, interesting how they approach it. And interesting that they're seeing the issue, right? Like lots of times we don't give the federal government credit for seeing the, the issue or what's going on in the private marketplace, but it sounds like on this one, they, they have a little bit. Right. So on to the next bill, which I believe is HR 4507, which is the Transparency and Coverage Act. And that, that title sounds familiar. Right. And it should. So there's really two parts to this bill. And, and really part of it is just codifying the Transparency Coverage Final Rule. So we're all familiar and have been living with that. That eventually has the goal of making healthcare more shoppable, um, allegedly, I will say. And this one also, in addition to making that information available to consumers, to the public, um, it also requires a provider-facing tool. So it, it allows providers then to have access to that information so that when they're making recommendations around healthcare services, they can shop it as well. And they can take that into consideration when they're making those recommendations. Very smart. We have asked that they would also extend it to business associates. Um, I think that's a, that would be a very helpful thing as well. But we are really going to going to stay and and watch um you know this information very closely we've we have touched on it in the past we will continue to touch on it those machine readable files that have been made public by health plans are not are very complex and they're not usable by consumers today in the format that they are the hope was that innovators would take this data and put it into some type of actionable and usable uh, format. We do have a tool, TPNet, that Heidi Cottle, who is a, a brilliant individual that works for NFP and is at the forefront really of data transparency, um, utilizes. Um, and so we'll talk more about that and, and more to come on that. But we're really watching this to make sure and to unpack it a bit more and to see if there are any differences between the final rule and what's in this bill. There is a second section that requires PBMs to provide information to plan sponsors 
And in that section, it says that consumers need access, obviously, to price transparency for prescription drugs. I will say there's some other bills that we will talk about that also touch on information disclosure by PBMs. I haven't done enough analysis to see if there's any crossover. I assume since they came together as a package, the data requested is not a crossover, but they're definitely trying to get at the idea of PBMs having full disclosure around um, the money that exchanges hands as it relates to drugs. And and they certainly want the full amount of any rebate that's coming in to, to be passed along to the plan and, and the participant. So we will unpack that more as it makes it through. That one did have one uh, one person who voted against it. So that bill advanced by a vote of 38 to one. Nice to have one dissenter, right? I mean, always good to hear the, the other perspective of what's happening, but we did cover some of those PBM bills at the state level recently on podcasts. So um, feel free to go back and listen to those as well. But it seems like a lot of the action is aimed towards PBMs and and drug pricing and all that. So, okay, so let's talk about the next bill. That would be HR 4527, which is the Health Data Act, I believe. Yes, and this we were excited about this one. So as I mentioned um, with our tool TPNet, what we found is that there there are some challenges in gathering data from ASOs and TPAs, and and whereas maybe they'll provide the data, but then they want to place limitations on that data. So a plan goes to an ASO, they request certain data, claims data. Um, before they hand over that data, they want the plan sponsor and anyone else um, touching it to sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. And within there, they may place certain restrictions on the use of that data. So the, they may give it to you or they may not give it to you fully, um, but they'll uh, then place restrictions on how that is used. And this is really trying to get to that. It expands the No Surprises Act and the Gag Clause Prohibition. And it wants to ensure that health plan fiduciaries are not limited or restricted from receiving cost or quality of care information about their plan. And it does include PBMs and TPAs in the list of groups that could be liable for violating a gag clause provision. Um, it allows plan fiduciaries to access and audit. So there's a key word there de-identified health claims data to ensure that the compensation paid by the plan is reasonable. Of course, that is where we get to under ERISA, um, a fiduciary's obligation is to make sure that uh, the that the amounts that they pay are reasonable. And I will make a note in, a, in just a moment about some potential lawsuits that are bubbling up. Um, but this is a very important bill. I, um, as I mentioned, what, for example, uh, recently, um, when I was looking at an NDA, it had under the NDA a restricted use uh, provision. And in there, it said that you could not use that data um, for any cost price transparency tool. So obviously, they're saying you can have the data, but we really don't want you to use that data. Uh, one of the ways in which a plan may want to use that data is to, to get their claim-specific information. So they look at claims based on um, the actual claim, the provider, the location of the claim, and they want to compare that against another network's pricing model. And, and so that they can determine that based on their own planned claims data, are they in the best network? Um, so that would prohibit uh, a plan from doing that type of analysis to determine going forward if they're in the best network as it pertains to their own claims and uh, you know where their employees are located. Um, but I was in Washington last week. I did speak with Taylor Hiddle, who's a senior staff member at the Education and Workforce Committee. She's very involved in the drafting of this bill. I explained to her that, you know, the bill has made tremendous progress. It probably doesn't go far enough. 
because it limits it to audit, I don't know that that extends to the be, being able to use data in other ways without restrictions. Um, she mentioned that they're going to be looking into that. They're going to try to add some language. We need some mobilization around that. But it is something that that is certainly going along with the intent of uh, the reason behind this bill. Um, I will also say that I spoke with uh, a, a woman named Amber Rivers, who is the director of EBSA's Office of Health Plan. And EBSA is the enforcement arm for the Department of Labor, the DOL. I explained to her also these data limitations that are occurring with ASOs and TPAs. Uh, she was very interested in that and said that this that was certainly going against the intent of the gag clause prohibition. prohibition. Uh, she was willing, uh, the EBSA is receiving complaints and will receive complaints about TPAs and ASOs. And this also gets to the idea of what does a plan do when they are having these restrictions, yet they'd have to attest um, with the gag clause attestation at the end of the year. So just so you know, this is a, a this Health Data Act is certainly uh, helpful with all of what we've been discussing. It needs to go a bit further, but we're in close contact with those in Washington to see if we can make some changes to this bill and really have it eliminate those restrictions that are occurring right now um, in those NDAs. Yeah, and that's a that's an issue that's come you know coming to the forefront more and more is this. Uh, attestation that's due at the end of the year and how can employers get comfortable in in attesting that they're in compliance right and it does come back to the tpa the aso agreements and a lot of companies are not comfortable reviewing those because they're not, not sure what they're looking for uh, but this is really helpful information and this sounds like a really fruitful trip to washington dc suzanne uh, I, you know, it definitely with... is it always is but but definitely i think we we have the ability to possibly make some changes here right Okay, so let's get to the final proposed bill. And this is, remember, all of these bills are just proposed right now, just in committee. So if anybody's hearing this and thinking, wow, this is a new law, not quite yet, but um, just highlighting that this is on the horizon. This is what Congress is talking about. And of course, we will walk you through uh, the process to uh, if these become final. Uh, but the last one here that's in proposed state is HR 4508. And this is the Hidden Fee Disclosure Act. So talk about that one a little bit, Suzanne. Yes. Yeah, so this one is the one, this one actually strengthens the compensation dis disclosure requirements under 408B2. Um, and as it relates to health plans and PBMs and TPAs. So again, this is an area that we've seen some litigation on. Um, I didn't mention above the litigation related to some of these uh, data limitations, but there's some also some litigation ongoing right now with data limitations as there are um, with compensation disclosure. So um, specifically what this legislation requires is that patients re receive transparent cost data prior to receiving treatment. And specifically for PBMs, it must include the amount in form of any rebates, discounts, or price concessions, including the amount expected to be passed through to the plan sponsor or the participant, all compensation expected to be received by the PBM as a result of paying a lower amount for the drug than the amount charged at copay, coinsurance, or deductible, all compensation received by a PBM as a result of paying pharmacies less than what is charged the health plan, plan sponsor, or participants, all compensation expected to be received by the drug manufacturers, and that includes, um, you know, of course, everything related to rebates and so forth. And then there's also an annual disclosure requirement that relates to compensation. 
Secondly, there's some requirements related specifically to TPAs. And I know there's been some question about whether they actually were um, bound by this. We've heard um, but there are certain disclosures that are required by TPAs in terms of um, the amount of uh, their service fees and uh, other information related to their payments. And so, again, all of these are really getting to some areas that have been challenging over the last few years for plans to comply. Um, and and we've certainly heard of these challenges from our clients. And so we will be watching all of this closely. It just got out of committee Again, bipartisan, um, almost unanimous support. Very interesting. And and yeah, that last one, just getting to this idea of trying to flesh out where the money's going, what the fees are for. And then that theme that you kind of started with of, okay, we get the information out there. We saw that with the machine readable files, but is it in a form that can really help uh, consumers understand and help the market understand and digest? And so I think that's another hurdle in the process as well. But Thanks, Suzanne, for walking us through these uh, four proposed bills, and we'll definitely stay on top of them. Any other thoughts uh, coming out of D.C. or out of these four bills that you think would be helpful? No, there's certainly there's just a lot of activity both in the courts and and in D.C. and and really in the agencies as well. So we'll just continue to keep you updated as things uh, materialize and just uh, stay in touch with your NFP broker for that information. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. And as we'd like to say at the end of the podcast, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining. Thanks. Thanks.